Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter number 16. We get to the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and Paul is obviously a a mental powerhouse, and he has been unfolding for us this treatise on Christianity, this this, um, beautiful walk through the wonder of Jesus Christ. Wow. And it is from the heavens that we hear of this astounding accomplishment. So Paul's helping us to understand that there is a problem with you and I, and that is a sin problem. There is a consequence to the problem, and that is separation from God. There is an answer, and that answer is found in Jesus Christ. And then there is an action that must take place, and that is whosoever will, that means people like you and people like me, have to now take an actionable step. And Paul walks us through the beauty of Christianity in ways that we find, I don't know, never, uh, we've never exhausted the riches of the beauty of this book. But we come to the end of the book and we start to see some very personal not these things that are, this is what Christianity is all about. It's just, this is the way Christians act. This morning I was walking and it was early in the morning and there's a lady who is a friend in our neighborhood and she's sitting on the porch and, and, and I greeted Jan. Hello, Jan. And, and we talked for a few moments. And, and then as I left, I said, make sure you tell John I said hello. And as I left, she said, I will be sure to tell him that you said hello. I sent my greetings on to my friend, John. And you know, this Christian, Paul, who has been detailing for us the beauty and the wonder and the splendor of our faith, takes time personally at the end of this chapter. Now, the last time we were in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he said, I commend unto you Phoebe, the person who actually, we believe, delivered the script, the letter to the church at Rome. And he says, make sure you take care of her. But now he gets into a very personal section from the book. And he just sends simple greetings. And by the way, these are things that we have been doing since man was created. Now, it doesn't always look the same. So there are unique greetings to different cultures, to different time periods. In in Western Europe, in the Americas, we typically do a handshake. We extend a hand and, and we put ours in the hand of another and we greet one another. Um, In China, in some parts of Asia, it's more typical for a greeting to include some kind of a bow that is, again, a more formal aspect, but still a cultural greeting. Um, There are certain parts of the world where Paul even acknowledges this. In fact, some of you are saying, hey, get to verse number 16, because here he says, salute or greet one another with a holy kiss. So right now we're all, no, just kidding on that one. Okay, so... A holy kiss. Well, it's very typical in some parts of the world for a kiss on the cheek to be the manner of the greeting with which a person comes and and formally greets another. Paul, through the course of these last verses, says, let's take an opportunity to greet one another. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, we have named that chapter what we typically refer to as the hall of faith. The hall of faith. There are these famous believers throughout the scriptures and we look at their lives and we say, oh wow, they made it into the hall of faith. We, we usually have much more content to back up the living of their lives. Their stories are the narratives of scripture. But when we get to Romans chapter 16, we don't have necessarily what we're referring to as this hall of faith. But today, we're going to refer to this as the title of our message. And that is the hall of the faithful. The hall of the faithful. Some of these, it's the only time we're going to read their names mentioned in Scripture. But what we know from these believers, the Apostle Paul seems to indicate your lives bear mentioning because of their faithfulness. I don't think it's because of their talents, by the way. I don't think it's because of their wonderful personality. I don't think it's because, oh, their, their mental abilities are profound. I don't think it's because of any of those reasons. I think the reason Paul in these closing lines to the church at Rome, I think the reason these people are included is because they lived lives that were characterized by faithfulness. Our lives today may never make it into what we might call a modern day hall of faith because of the, the great feats by which our lives demonstrated our faith to God. But if God were still writing out some hall of faithfulness, there may well be hope for people like you and people like me to have our record recorded before God as those who were faithful to our King. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 16. In just a few moments, we'll start to unpack this passage of Scripture. But let me let you know where we're heading with this. I'd like for us today to look at what were some of the things those people mentioned in this hall of faithful. What are some of the characteristics that, that lined their lives, that marked the living of their Christianity? What did these people look like? You know, the first thing that we're going to see, it's a simple statement, but the first thing that I notice about their lives is, number one, they were true. They were true. Now, we're going to identify two things to which they were true, but understand first and foremost, these people, all of which you read towards the end of Romans chapter 16, all of which we read, we find that these people were real. They were true. Now, two aspects of this. Number one, they were true in their faith. They were true in their faith. Now, it bears noting that you can't be faithful to something that you don't possess. So you have to have something for you to be faithful to it. In other words, a, a team member can't be faithful to the team unless he's first a part of the team. Uh, you can't be faithful to marriage unless you are first married. You can't be faithful as a Christian unless you first come to know Christ. Now, there are letters that the apostles written where he only mentions a name. But in this letter, Romans chapter 16, 
Paul not only mentions names, he continually mentions that these people are genuine, true believers. Look at how he unfolds this for us throughout the course of this passage. Romans chapter 16, verse number 3. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers, and then notice these words, in Christ Jesus. Well, Priscilla and Aquila, they knew Christ personally. He goes on, Romans 16, 5, salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. This man's a believer. Verse number 7, salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were, here it is again, in Christ before me. Verse number 8, Greet Amplius, my beloved, in the Lord. Verse number 10, salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Verse number 11, greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Can I say, before we go any further, this is the only safe place to be, and that is in Christ Jesus. Every person in this room is in one of two locations. One is eternally safe. One is presently condemned. If you today are not found in Christ Jesus, then you are in a most precarious situation. You know, we oftentimes seek places of safety. We want to find some kind of shelter, some place of protection. In a time of storm, sometimes there's even something reassuring, comforting when the wind is blasting outside and the rain pounding upon a house, thunder rolling, but you are safe inside the shelter of a home. I think the reason Paul mentions this over and over and over again is because he's built a case throughout the book of Romans of the place every person is invited to come. And that is in Christ. You're the only person, quite frankly, that can answer honestly that question today. Where are you found right now at this very moment? You are either in Christ or you are not. And he wonderfully, graciously extends an invitation for all to come to him. Well, this is not the point or the primary point of the message today. You're invited to come in Christ. That means that when I stand someday before God, I don't stand in my own works. I stand in the full righteousness of Jesus, a place of protection. So while the storm of judgment rages around, I am safe in the shelter of Christ. Paul begins by saying, hey, listen, these people send my greeting to, do you know what they are? They're true in the faith. In Philippians, he states it this way. The apostle says it this way. Philippians 3, 9, he says, and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You say, how do I, how do I get in Jesus Christ, in his righteousness? How, how do I do that? By faith. So what does that mean? It means I come before God and I say, God, I reject my own plan. 
I reject my own righteousness, my own way, my own good works. I reject it. My way is woefully insufficient. Jesus Christ is alone the way, the truth, and the life. So I want to be found in Jesus. I accept his righteousness, his gift. I accept him as my substitute. I accept Jesus, the one who bled and died and was buried as a sinner would be buried. He died in my place and in yours. And then he rose triumphant from a borrowed tomb three days later, proving that he is God. And he invites all who will to come to him. The first group that he mentions, he just takes time to say, hey, listen, these are true. They're true in the faith. But he doesn't stop there. He also goes, I think, on what we might call a more personal level. He says, yeah, they're true in the faith, and they're also true in their friendship. They were true in their friendship. Sometimes we use that expression of another person. We say, hey, hey, listen, that's a true friend. Sometimes someone does something, we say, oh, wow, I can't believe you did that. That's the action of a true friend. Do you know what you see all again throughout this chapter is you see the marks not only of true faith, you see the marks of true friendship. We get the idea that because Paul had invested so much of himself in them, they are now reciprocating. There was some back and forth to the friendship. Paul had had done something for them and they say, oh, listen, we want to return what Paul's done on our behalf. Just a couple days ago, I I read a story, one of those man's best friend stories, and the the story was written, told by a lady named Kathy Aradia, and Kathy was a person who had a severe migraine, and so she went out to her backyard just to get some fresh air, and she went out with the dog that was hers that had been a shelter dog, a rescue. And so she went out with her dog, her dog's name's Misty, a rescue dog, and and they both walked outside. And while Kathy is standing outside with this migraine, she just all of a sudden passed out. She fell forward. She actually received a concussion from the hit that she took. But when she fell forward, she fell into a small decorative pond in their backyard, face first, head submerged. Um, Later reports say that she was probably out for three to five minutes, face first in a pond. And Misty, the rescue dog, this is how she woke up. She woke up to this dog pulling, you know, continually tugging, pulling her out of the water and to safety. So as she starts to wake up, she was drugged out of the water and she senses herself that this dog is is tugging, you know, almost violently to remove her and then goes up and starts to lick her face. And finally she comes to, she's able to call for rescue help and people come. Even then the dog stays right by her side, this rescue dog that came to her rescue. And Kathy, when she's telling this story, she says, Really, few people can. Sometimes it's a trendy statement to say, you know, when you have a rescue dog, who rescued who? But she said, when you think about what this dog did for me, you really can ask the question, who was it that was doing the rescuing? In some sense, she said, listen, I went and I rescued a dog, and the dog wonderfully reciprocated. How much greater when you think about what it is that someone has done on your behalf 
and then we say, let me reciprocate. That really is what friendship oftentimes is characterized or marked by. And the apostle starts to tell us about people who he has ministered to, and then they just begin to reciprocate. Maybe it was his gospel message that rescued him, and now they say, how can we respond? Is there some rescuing that we can do for the apostle Paul? In fact, in verse number three, Romans chapter 16, Paul begins with this couple. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Now, if you start to study them, it's almost like any letter that Paul writes. He's saying, hey, by the way, tell Priscilla and Aquila that I said hello. While you're there, make sure you greet. They're mentioned six times in Scripture. They're mentioned in 1 Corinthians, they're mentioned in the book of Acts, they're mentioned in 2 Timothy, and I mean continually over and over again, three times they're mentioned by Luke, three times they're mentioned by Paul. We're introduced to them first in Acts chapter 18 when Paul goes to Corinth. So let's take a moment and just find out a little bit more about this wonderful couple Priscilla and Aquila. If you'll note some of the characteristics, the first thing we see, Acts chapter 18, we're going to look at verse number one. The first thing I see here is this couple was hospitable. They were hospitable. Okay, they're good friends of the Apostle Paul. What is it that marks this good friendship? Well, the first thing we see is their hospitality. Verse number one, Acts chapter 18, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. Okay, so they're, they're in Rome, but they have to leave Rome because of their culture, because of their heritage, their history. And they came to the, unto them. And because he was of the same craft, they were all tent makers, he abode with them and wrought. For their occupation, for by their occupation, they were tent makers. Okay, Paul goes and lives with Priscilla and Aquila. They said, hey, come, come over to our house. Come stay with us. We don't have all the story. We don't have all the, the details, but we can imagine. Paul, why don't you come stay with us? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to stay with you guys. You guys got enough. No, Paul, come stay with us. We, we have a place for you. It's all set up. Come stay with us. Are you sure? We're positive. Come stay with us. Okay, how many of you have ever asked someone to come stay at your house and they took you up on it for longer than you anticipated? Okay. Do you know how long we estimate the Apostle Paul stays with Aquila and Priscilla? A year and a half. Okay. A year and a half. Be careful who you invite over, all right? So he, he's invited over. Hey, come stay with us. He does. It's estimated he stays with them for a year and a half. Well, first of all, they're hospitable. We see that, again, as you continually study their lives. The, the other thing we see is they're flexible. They're flexible. If you go further down in Acts chapter 18, verse number 18, and Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him, with him, Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, so Paul says, okay, hey, hey, I'm going to head out, and um, Priscilla, Aquila, you guys want to come with? Hey, hey, we're going with. Yeah, there's not even a question. We're going to go. We're going to help you with the work. They're flexible. Now, I also find this interesting. Paul, we're going with you, but look down a little bit further. Look at, verses, um, look at verse number 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. Hey, Paul, we're going with you. Okay, wonderful. 
So he comes, they get to Ephesus, and they says, hey, listen, I need you guys to stay here. Paul, we're going with you. I need you to stay here. Okay, we're here. Do you know what they demonstrate? Listen, we got a friendship, but their friendship wasn't such that this is how we're going to define the friendship. It also appears they're not the smothering kind of friends. I need you to stay here. Okay, we're here. They're flexible. Look a little bit further. They're also patient. This one we could spend more time on that we don't have, but, but they're in the synagogue. They're listening to preaching by a guy who could preach. I mean, when this guy's done, people are standing back. They're going up to him and saying, I've never heard oratory like that before. I mean, to tell you, some people are saying, today, listen, buddy, you brought it today. Woo, boy, Apollos was on fire. Okay, this guy could preach. Okay, so now Aquila, Priscilla, they're just kind of standing in the back after everyone's been to the synagogue. Apollos just preached. He's expounding the scriptures. He's mighty in the Lord, but his faith only goes so far as John the Baptist. He hasn't been informed. He hasn't been taught like Priscilla and Aquila have been taught at the feet, so to speak, of the Apostle Paul. So do you know what they do? I, I find this wonderfully encouraging. These people are patient. Acts chapter 18, verse number 26. And he, that is Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They took him unto them. They don't interrupt the, the service. They're not sitting there in the service going, mm -mm, that's really not what it's supposed to. They're not doing that. Do you know what they do? After the service, they say, hey, Apollos, uh, do you want to come over and have dinner? Um, yeah, I'd be honored to. Wonderful. Hey, listen, we'll see you at one and uh, we, we're, we'll have dinner ready. We're looking forward to the fellowship with you. So Apollos comes over and then they say, Apollos, tell us, have you heard of? And now they start to unfold the scriptures. There, there is some patient graciousness about them. They don't say, I can't believe he had the audacity to stop. With. They don't do that. They just say, you know what? He's going to take some more steps, some more steps, some more steps. And you start to study the, the ministry of Apollos. Guess who's got some fruit that abounds to their account? Aquila and Priscilla. Because they expounded to him, in a sense, what we would call biblically a more excellent they're patient. In fact, the Bible of him and his ministry, Acts 18, 28, for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Where did he get that? He got that from Aquila and Priscilla. What were they? They were generous. Again, we don't have time for this, but do you know wherever you see them going, wherever they are, they're in different locations. Do you know Paul says to them on multiple occasions, hey, uh, greet Aquila and Priscilla and greet the church that's meeting at their house. Wherever they are. So they, they wind up in Ephesus, they wind up back in Rome, they, wherever they are, hey, greet the church that's in their house. Now this is, this is gonna be some, some personal cost. This is going to be some extension of that which, you know, well, that's my house. Do you know how Aquila and Priscilla viewed themselves? They viewed themselves as stewards, not owners. 
God, this house, these resources, Lord, what I have to advance the work, this belongs to you. So how do you want to use it? Do you know God's the one who put anything that we have into our hand? And isn't it remarkable? We, we almost have, have you ever taken your finger and put your finger in the hand of a little baby? And what does a baby intuitively do? They clasp that which is in their hand. And I find I tend to do the same. That when God so graciously puts something into my hand, so quickly I seem to close my hand around it. Do you know what Aquila and Priscilla do? They with open hands say, God, you put this into my hand. You can take it out. This is yours to use to advance the work. Do you know works just like this? Works like this since God actually established the church. Works like this all around the world. Some that are meeting in remote locations under a shrub of trees. Some in ornate buildings with tall steeples. Some large, some small. Works just like this. Happen because people see themselves as stewards and not owners. And they say, Lord, we're going to advance the work. We're going to give to forward the work. And by God's grace, until Jesus comes again, there will be people who see themselves as stewards, not as owners. What were they? They were generous. They were protective. They were protective. Now, we're going to explore that in just a moment. But suffice it to say, they were fiercely protective of their friends. Like, okay, if our friend's in trouble, hey, not on my watch. My friend has a need. Okay, I'm there. This couple... Wow, if you had them as a friend, they are going to protect those that they call their friends. And, um, and you know, the Bible says of, these, of, these, um, of this wonderful couple, they were some special friends of the Apostle Paul. And it appears that wherever they went, they became meaningful friends to those that they came in contact with. I mean, it's not just the Apostle Paul. They didn't just say, Paul's really important. We're going to be really good friends of Paul, but nobody else. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because Romans chapter 16, verse number 4, still talking about this couple, says, unto whom not only I give thanks, Paul speaking, look at this, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. All the churches of the Gentiles. Paul says, hey, Tell Priscilla and Aquila I said hello. They're special friends of mine. And by the way, all the churches of the Gentiles, they're, they're, they're sending their greeting. They're thankful for them too. This is a special couple. Listen, wherever they went, they made friends. You know, sometimes we say, no, nobody's making friends with me. You know, I've been in this church now for, and nobody's, listen, Priscilla and Aquila didn't wait for someone to become their friend. They just said, hey, listen, we're here. Um, Y'all are our friends, okay? They just became the friend as opposed to waiting to be befriended. I'm not sure what all they did is their ministry in the church. Listen, there's so many different times we say, well, what, what kind of a ministry can I have in this church? I think that Priscilla and Aquila just took people as their ministry. They didn't serve in, in Awana or master clubs. They, they may not have sung in the choir. They didn't have an instrument to play. They weren't part of the hospitality team. I think they just said, hey, here's what we're going to do. Let's pick out some people and let's, let's let them be our ministry. 
Do you know, quite honestly, there's not an ushering spot for everybody to do every Sunday. Everybody can't park a car. Everybody can't teach a children's Sunday school class. Everybody can't sing in the choir. But do you know what everybody can do? Everybody can do what Priscilla and Aquila did. And they said, okay, let me start picking out some ministry in the church. Let me find some people that need someone just like me to to bless, to encourage, to strengthen, to lift up. And what Priscilla and Aquila do is they find ways in the church to minister. What were they? Well, that's our longest point of the morning, but they were true. Okay, let's go a little bit further. The second thing we see about these that he greets is they were, okay, are you ready for this, church? You ready? Okay, the second thing that they were. First of all, they were true. But you know, the other thing I notice about these that are mentioned here that were Paul's friend, they're faithful. What are the characteristics? Secondly, they were tired. They were tired. Okay, nudge the person next to you right now, okay? Just see, oh yeah, listen, buddy, I know. Brother, amen. Amen. Yeah, they're tired, okay. So you qualify for this, you know, hall of the faithful. You say, well, what are you talking about? They were tired. What do you you mean by that? Well, let's take a look and see what is it that the scripture says. Romans 16, look in your Bible, verse number six. Romans 16, look down at verse number six. Okay, notice what he says here. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. The words bestowed much labor. In the Greek, it literally means she's fatigued. She's worn out. It means she has grown weary. It even means she is exhausted. Hey, by the way, Paul says, don't forget to greet Mary. Oh, man, that woman can work. And she worked so hard that there were times when she was just physically spent because of her labor on our behalf. We see this word used again two more times down in verse number 12. Look there. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa who, here's the word again, labor in the Lord, fatigued, spent, exhausted, weary in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis which here it, is, here it is again, labored much in the Lord. You know, at times we may become confused about the work of the Lord, thinking that it, it shouldn't take this much effort. Oh, no, 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 that's going to that's gonna be too hard to do. Oh, I don't know if we'll ever, how much are we going to move that? You know, if we try it, how much are we going to actually move the needle? Do, do you know what these people did? They labored much in the Lord. And they were tired. Sometimes we get a little confused about verses like Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Sometimes we start to think, well, that means that we're, there's not supposed to be weariness with the work. No, no, no. Let us not be weary. Don't grow weary of doing right. Listen, you might grow tired. It might be exhausting. But don't get worn out of doing that. Okay, don't grow, oh, I'm just so tired of doing the right thing. He says, don't do that. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season, ye shall reap if ye faint not. He's saying, keep at it. And then again, sometimes, you know, well, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. 
And I believe what Jesus is communicating here is that not all the work of the Lord is supposed to be that which is like, oh, the work of the Lord is such a heavy burden. He's saying, no, 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 no. The work of the Lord is not a heavy burden. The work of the Lord, this is what he strengthens and empowers us to do. Well, does that mean that I shouldn't grow tired in the work? No, what it means is you shouldn't grow tired of the work. And there's a profound difference. There was a man when David's mentioning his mighty men in 2 Samuel, his name's Eleazar. And Eleazar is a man who knows how to do the work. He's a guy who knew how to fight. In fact, when you're thinking about him, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse number 9, after him was Eleazar, notice this, the son of Dodo, the Ahoahite, one of the three mighty men with David. Okay, this guy knew how to fight, and I think I knew why. Okay, oh, there's the son of Dodo. Come on. Okay, so, so Eleazar, the guy knew how to fight. Okay, so he's out there. They're battling against the Philistines, sword in his hand, and he's doing the battle. And all of a sudden, like everybody else is ditching him. But not Eleazar. And the Bible says of him as he's fighting the battle, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave under the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people, look at this, and the people returned after him only to spoil. He's out there, his hand grew weary, but it clave under the sword. He says, I'm tired, but I am not letting go. He grew weary in the battle, not weary of it. He doesn't throw down his sword and say, fine, if I'm the only one, then, then there's no one. I'm done with this. If nobody else is here to help, fine, someone else can do it. He doesn't do that. Everyone else takes off. His hand is weary, but it clave under the sword. Weary in the battle, not of the battle. Christians do grow weary in the work, but should never grow weary of it. Times of weariness may be, as one pastor I read put it, a call for rest, call for recalibration, or even recommitment. But I might add, not for reversal or retreat. Okay, and by the way, before we move on, I'm not advocating for work without rest. When we grow tired for too long, we become easy targets for the enemy. Laborers need times of rest, even seasons of rest, to ready themselves for the work. But even as we rest, we do so to ready ourselves to work. The last thing that we'll, we'll close with, they were tested. They were tested. Yeah, they were true, true to the faith. They were true friends. They were tired. They knew how to labor in the work. And you know, the other thing that Paul notes, listen, this group of of, of those to whom I am sending my greetings, these people have been tested. They've stood the test of adversity. He says at verse number 10, salute Apelles, approved in Christ. The word approved here, it's a great word. In Greek, it means tried. It means like, okay, there's the, the furnace of affliction. Somebody turned the heat up and he stood approved. Ultimately, it just means he passed the test. And we might note that a Christian that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. If you are not willing to put yourself to the test, how can you trust? God already knows you. He knows you, your future, your past. He already knows. 
But if you can't put your faith to the test, how do you know that faith can be trusted? He goes on all throughout this. He continues to find these people who were tested and tried and true. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. These people know what it's like to suffer with me in prison. Campus Church, I know you're aware of this, but there are people all over the world today, all over the world that remain imprisoned because of the advancement of the gospel. He says, greet Aquila and Priscilla. Here they are again. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 4 who have for my life laid down their own necks. Sometimes we say, yeah, like, hey, man, I I put my neck on the line for you. They literally did. Paul says, if it wasn't for them, my own life may have been cut short. They put their neck on the line for my sake. They were tested. It's a special couple that stands out continually to Paul. We, we just looked at the verse, verse 10. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. The word again, it's found all throughout Scripture. It's found in James. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried. Do you know what that word is? When he is approved, same word. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Who receives the crown? The one who endures the cross. You know, to be included in the hall of the faithful. We see that these believers were true. They were tired. They knew how to labor. They were tested and stood approved. Campus Church, the question for us today is is if God were compiling today his, the, the hall of the faithful, Would those be three rather straightforward characteristics that could be applied to you, applied to me? By God's grace, may we be true in the faith in Christ, true as a friend that knows how to stick closer, so to speak, than a brother, tired. Say, oh, pastor, sometimes I'm so tired. Listen, don't grow weary of Sometimes you'll grow weary in and tested. Thank the Lord for the testing. It is by the trying of our faith that we learn it indeed can stand.